No, you know what? That might be a good little stopgap for us because the one of the reasons we're not buying a bed is because we want to get uh, like the biggest bed, right? California mm. King. <laughs> oh my and we gosh. think I mean we think we think I mean why not? Go big, right? We think uh yeah. the room, the bedroom we have right now is not, you know, it'd be a little oversized for our bedroom. So we're kind of holding off mm-hmm. until wherever we move next then we'll splurge or something. Um, but you know, like you say, that could be a good stopgap in between uh, getting yeah. getting that down cover. You should also look up the measurements between a California King and a King because for the longest time I thought a California King was like bigger in every way. No, I it's know, not. I know, I know. I'm I'm well aware. It's just longer. Okay, because I was. But I mean, Chris, you're talking to uh, the Jolly Green Giant over here. Okay. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, you need longer. I get it. <laughs> But as you know, I'm a broad man, and so for me, it was a disappointment. I'm like, yes, it's going to be this huge thing, and then I I don't own one, but I looked it up, and I was like, well, I'm not going to own one now. (laughs) (laughs) You need need the size that will support your uh, copious muscles. That's the one you need. (laughs) Copious muscles. Been a long time since that was accurate. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Chris. uh, you know, this podcast is called uh, Science Fiction Shorts. I don't actually know if you were aware of that. Were you aware of that, Chris? I am aware of that. Okay, great. Uh, so, you know, we usually talk about science fiction and whatnot. But did you know that tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken, it's tomorrow. I could be off. It could be slightly past midnight. Not exactly sure. Did you know tomorrow is a significant day in the world of science nonfiction? No. Not for something that happened in the past, but something that is going to happen tomorrow. Okay, so something big is happening tomorrow. I am unaware. Please, enlighten uh, you, me. You heard of a uh, little robot called Perseverance? I think I have, yes. Yeah, well, okay. I mean, you know, uh, previous rovers sent to Mars. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, spirit, opportunity, curiosity to name a few off the top of my head. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, this we're sending another one. Well, I mean, we've, we sent it months ago, and it is uh, going to mm-hmm. attempt a landing uh, tomorrow. Oh, really? Yeah, it's called Perseverance. And um, yeah, it should be pretty exciting. That's a big deal. You know, they're still talking about sending people to Mars. Would you go on that trip? If you had the opportunity, would you be on that that initial envoy to Mars? Oh, initial? No way. I would much rather sit down and read a book about it, right? <laughs> I heard that, man. <laughs> I, I definitely I definitely want people to do it. I mean, when I when I was I, I was kind of um um delightfully reminded of 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 this robot uh just a couple weeks ago. It's always great when you forget about it for months and months so you don't have to like, you know keep wishing the day was here, but then you're just reminded of it Mm -hmm. like, you know, two weeks before it happens. And then you only got to wait two weeks. Well, um, when I was reminded of it, I thought to myself, you know, that's great. We're sending another Rover, but we've already done that so many times. You know what I mean? (laughs) Isn't it time for us to kind of, to send people to Mars? I did have that, that thought. Well, right now, from what I understand, it's a one way trip. They don't have the ability to bring you back. And so, there's no world where I would do the initial one because I don't want to dedicate potentially my entire life to Mars. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, what? Okay, yeah, I mean, getting a rocket off Mars. Actually, you know, getting a rocket off Mars is supposed to be much easier than off the Earth because of the lower gravity. 
That's gravity, yeah. Okay. But I, I think what you're saying is, I mean, we don't have like that built into the mission yet to return someone. Um, exactly. But uh, did you know, part, one of the features of this uh, rover, Perseverance, is that it's actually going to take a core sample of, of Mars and mm. like um, save it in a container or something that, that is planned to be picked up at a later date. And return to Earth. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's very cool. Hmm. I did not know that. Now, you know, returning a human is a different story. That is, I think it's a step in that direction that, you know, soon we will be able to. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very, the problem is you can ship a rock in theory in any condition back to us as long as it doesn't get pulverized. <laughs> yeah. You know. Uh, a so, rock doesn't need air to breathe. No. No, turns out it does not. <laughs> Unless, of course, this sample has the one life form left on Mars. We yeah. suffocate it, sending it back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that'd be terrible. Um, yeah. Another little interesting factoid about uh, this robot is it's going to have a helicopter companion built into it. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's hmm. like a, it's like a, it's like a test of the technology, basically. There's like a a uh, a drone um, yeah. with propellers and it's basically it's got cameras all over it and it, they're going to be able to like you know fly it around and basically it's a test for a later mission to where they're going to do it as the main objective gotcha so, pretty cool okay. how long does it take to get to mars uh nine months i believe Oh my gosh. But keep in mind, keep in mind that the there's a window every I think two or two and a half years of when Mars is the closest to Earth, and so therefore mm. when it's most um, economical to go to Mars. So if we ever do do humans to Mars and want to bring them back, it's going to be like a nine month journey there, and then they're going to have to stay there for years until wow until they have the window to come back again. Interesting. Yeah. Here's a little fact that you may or may not be aware of. You know, the moon doesn't seem like it's very far away from us, but the distance between the Earth's surface and the moon's surface, you could put every planet in our solar system end to end. That's the same distance. Is that a fact? It is a fact. Look it up. Huh. I'm pretty sure Neil deGrasse Tyson told me that. Not like in private conversation, but <laughs> it's true. <laughs> wow, that's uh, that's significant. I mean, you know, Jupiter's no uh, small fry. No. No, but I mean, that's the thing. You don't think the moon's very far away, right? You think it's super close to us, and it is compared to everything else, but just gives you a feel for the magnitude of distance between us and the other celestial bodies, as they say. That is an interesting factoid. Very interesting. So anyway, we can kind of get into uh, what we're going to talk about. Do you see this? Do you see what I got in front of me? I do. Right there, Chris? I see it. What do you think about my copy of this book? It's very cool. It feels like it's an original copy. Like looking at the the way it's lit up, like this is something that would be made in the same time when this book was originally written. Well, unfortunately, that is, that is that is completely false. But uh, <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> uh, no, this is this is a uh, okay. So the book we're talking about is "The Left Hand of Darkness" by Ursula K. Le Guin, and you should already know that because this is probably going to be the name of the uh, episode. But um, but no, this book, this this edition, which I love, is called Galaxy Penguin. 
you know, Penguin, I think, is a mm. big uh, publisher of science, of science fiction or of just any books. Anyway, they have um, a set called Galaxy Penguin. And look, I have two other ones here. Oh, cool. Because I just, oh, I'm showing them at the wrong camera. Because I just love Space Odyssey, the way yeah. they look. Yeah, 2001 A Space Odyssey. And this one is actually not mm-hmm. a science fiction book. Do you know this book? The Sorry, it might be hard to read. Once in Future King? Yes, I do know that. Have you read it? That's good stuff. I don't know. I think I have. Is it the King It is King Arthur, yes. This is not like a play on that, but not King Arthur. That that uh I I don't know much about it. I, it's just it was in this <laughs> it was in this set and eventually I'm going to get the whole set. There's only six books in this set. Okay, they just look so beautiful. I want them all. I've I've already read half of them in the set, but um this one I haven't read. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do know King Arthur is featured in it. I have no, nothing else. I know nothing else about uh, more about it. Well, that was that was that was one of the names King Arthur had. It's the once and future king of England. Oh well, there you go. Cool. I'm excited to read it. It's a big old beefy book. It might take me a while, but uh, but anyway, that's not the book we're talking about, is it? No. So, Chris, you um, were able to finish the Left Hand of Darkness. I read it a little bit before you, but you were able to catch up. Correct. Via audiobook, right? Yep. And I'll tell you, you know. You said that you told me, you said, you know, I think you'll enjoy this book. And when I first started listening to it, I thought, look, this is going to be like Josh and I's views on movies. I think it's great. And he's kind of like, eh, or he thinks it's great. And I'm like, I don't know. But um, that's because I did something different with this book um, than what I normally do. And maybe it's because it's an audio book and you just kind of follow the sequence. But I almost never read author's introductions. Um, I don't know if you do, but I almost never read them. Um in part because well okay why because i really don't care what the author has to say to be honest with you outside of their story like i'm interested in their story i'm not interested in their views on like the world and life um and i know that sounds kind of jacked but i didn't pay them to tell me their their (laughs) philosophical views you want a good story you you don't necessarily want to hear their philosophical views i mean you're going to get their philosophical views no matter what it's baked into every story any author writes that right absolutely yeah absolutely but okay okay so anyway you did read the introduction i'm guessing to this book i did i did your thoughts because i i I have the introduction as well i'm assuming it's the same introduction Um, it is i'm sure i'm sure it is um so for me i just thought she was a little bit she came across a little bit high and mighty to me and so i was not in love like that was a bad initial taste for me okay okay um and so I, I spent the first little bit of the book trying to get over that as I'm listening to this story. I'm like, God, oh, this arrogant woman, I don't got time for this. But <laughs> as I got into the story, I was like, okay, well, maybe she has reason to be arrogant because she's a pretty good writer. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. So um, what, what was it about the introduction that um, gave you this impression? Was it like the big words? Was it the essay style? Was it like... No, for me, it was... As she began to tell us, like, what fiction does. She talks about uh-huh. science fiction. It doesn't really tell you the future. It tells you this, like, I don't need you to tell me what a book does for me. Oh. Right? <laughs> Dude, you know, it's crazy that you're saying this because I actually, um, I enjoyed the introduction. It certainly, it didn't have an effect on me like it did you. Um, but I actually have a little, uh, a, a paragraph I'm going to read right now, okay, from the introduction. And oh, cool. I, 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 I marked this because... It, she expressed something that I feel strongly about in a way that I could have never expressed it. Okay. Mm. And so here it is. But if 
science fiction is a literature of ideas, that does not mean that there will be no characters we care about, no beauty to the language, no human growth or change in the plot. It does mean, though, that the ideas will often be more important than anything else in the story, or perhaps that the ideas give the story a reason to exist. Hmm. Okay, so what what that paragraph means to me is... Um, yes, there's going to be good writing. There's going to be good character development or there can be, you know, there's going to be all those other elements of a good story in science fiction that you may enjoy in other genres. Right. But the important things, or, you know, it can be the most important thing is the ideas that are brought forth in science fiction. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that is something that I have often felt and thought when reading science fiction, especially um, short story science fiction, because in those cases, you don't always have time for character development and, um, you know, good plots and stuff like that. It's really just kind of putting forward. It's almost like an essay on an idea um, that an author might have had. No, I completely I see that. And actually, that is that's a, a very valid point, I think, that she puts forth there. Um because what is science fiction if not exploring ideas and concepts? Yep. Um, and oftentimes exploring things that we can't in our normal social culture through this different lens. You know, it makes me think of years ago, and this, this plays in, I guess, with what we're going to talk about today. There's a Star Trek Next Generation episode where Riker, I don't know if you know anything about Star Trek Next Generation, oh but... <laughs> Oh, Chris, okay. I can't wait for you to tell me which episode you're talking about. I hope I've seen it. I've seen a lot of them, and I love them, but go ahead. I've seen them all multiple times. I have them in a in a box set. But, <laughs> okay. Um, so Riker, who is the second in command, and the resident booty hound, right? So like, it doesn't matter the species. <laughs> like, like They don't even have to be anthropomorphic, and Riker's all over them, right? Yeah. So... He visits this planet, and there are these. Basically, they're all gender neutral, so they're they're neither male nor female, and it's considered deviant behavior if they, in fact, start to exhibit what what their gender is supposed to be biologically. And he runs into this person who would have been female, and of course, they they make love because that's what Rucker does. <laughs> but um, I mean, but Chris, it, was, it, it sounds like you're telling the plot of this book we're reading. <laughs> But go, but go on. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. But I'll tell you what's interesting about that, right? So the reason that was explored that way at the time and even, even still today, we talk about folks who have who are trans, right? And so you've got these difference of identity as to what sexuality is. This society goes the opposite direction completely in the extreme of no sexuality is appropriate. In fact, uh, they took great efforts to, once they find out that someone is quote-unquote deviant in their cultural context, they take efforts to eliminate that so that you become neutral again. I see, I see. Um, oh, man, so, I gotta say, I gotta say, I'm disappointed that I don't feel like I've seen this episode, man. I'll look it up for you. I'll get you the title so you can look okay. it up. Okay. <laughs> because, I mean, we, I, th I think all of them are on Netflix, too. Um, oh, yeah, I'm sure. So I could watch it. But anyway, go on. But it's, I mean, that's that's a concept in a conversation, especially in the 90s, that you really couldn't have in a general context, right? You couldn't have a TV show that was really tackling that at the time, mm -hmm. but you can do that through science fiction. Yeah. I mean, this was, this was written in what? 70, 1970, I think. Yep. Yeah. 
Um, so are, are, are you saying, okay, so you're saying you can do that through science fiction that, that, that's like the society deems that appropriate because it's, it's all about just experimenting on an idea or something. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or it's the future or it's the Sifa thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I also wonder if the medium, um, gives more allowances. I don't know. Does like do books, can you, can you get away with more in a book than you can on a TV show? I don't know. Absolutely. You can, you absolutely can. Um, I remember when I was a kid, a good friend of mine's older sister would read like Harlequin novels, which are romance novels. And she read me one paragraph of that. And it was the most (laughs) X-rated thing I'd ever heard in my life. (laughs) But I was yeah, like, I I've, see why you read this. That's incredible. But you could never show that on regular television, but you yeah. could sell it in a book. And normal folk would read it and not be seen like pervert. But if you watched them do what they're describing, oh, you're done, right? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Yep, that's true. Uh, hey, Chris. So for our listeners, you know, I don't know um, if people will have already read this book um, before listening to this. I think probably most will not have read it. Well, I, uh, I don't know if that's a fair statement because it is an old popular book. You know, it's an old famous book. And so theoretically people have had lots of time to read it, but I can imagine a lot of people haven't read it yet. Do you think we should uh, maybe like give a summary of, of what this book is about? Yeah, I don't think it's going to hurt anything. Um, it, I, we've, right now we're doing enough lead up to where if someone's like, they're going to spoil it for me, they can stop and come <laughs> back after they finished. Right. So there you go. There you go. Uh, who, who should take the honor? Uh, well, I mean, I'm, I most recently listened to it. Right. And so, okay. Um, I'm happy to walk through it. And if I miss something, you can correct me on it. Let's tell it up to a point where, you know, maybe like halfway through or something, you know, I think you remember a point where the I can proverbi- proverbial, uh, human excrement hits the fan. We can, we can go yep. up until that point, maybe. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. No, that makes sense. Um, so this story is really interesting, right? So it, it's part um, exploration of what's it like to deal with a new culture and their views and even their views on sexuality or a culture that views sexuality differently than we do for anatomical and other reasons. And it's also part kind of geopolitical thriller, um, which oh, yeah. is geopolitical. That, that's a very descriptive word of this book. Yes, I uh, I picked that up in some book, and so I've used it ever since. Every time I get the chance, <laughs> like like um, geography and politics are heavily uh, featured in this book. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So the situation here it's very interesting. There's a there's a gentleman, Mister I guess Ginley I Ginley or Ginley I I uh, I yeah. forget which order it is, but we'll call him Mister I, which is easier, I suppose, <laughs> and. He is an envoy from a coalition of planets, essentially, and he's visiting this planet known as Winter, and as he's here, his job is to build relation with them, because in theory what's happened is that humanity, eons ago, spread out across the galaxy, lost touch with each other, and now they're reconnecting. He comes to this particular planet, which is, and this isn't a spoiler, I mean, they tell you pretty clearly on the back of the book what's going on if you, if you read the synopsis. Um, this planet is unique in that of all the children of humanity across the cosmos, these folks actually have developed hermaphroditic um, reproductive capability that they have both sexes. And 
and the book does a great job of exploring what would that look like? How does that work? And, 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 and they actually are. A yeah, little, I was going to say, and, and that's kind of like the experiment that this author is kind of, uh, toying with, you know, I, I, I feel like, uh, science fiction authors will often just kind of have an idea and they think like, Oh, how can, how can I iterate on this and explore this in a book? Mm-hmm. And, and, and in this case, that, that aspect, the her, 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 hermaphroditic aspect of this society is kind of like the, the backdrop, you know what I mean? Yep. It's not, it's not like it's the most important um, thing in every chapter, but it's, it's always there and it affects all decisions. And it's, um, it's, it's really the experiment I feel like of, of this book. No, I think that's exactly right. That's one of the things that really impressed me about this story because that's such a big topic. It easily could have dominated everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're not paying attention, you could forget altogether that that's what's going on. There are certain things that remind you, but it's not just ever-present or dominant. And that was one yes. of my concerns at first, was that, you know, this book was written, like, as for an agenda. And she was trying to push some sort of view okay. or perspective. Not the case at all. Um, it just happens to be that these folks are this way. And what does that mean? Yeah, and in fact, I I remember. Okay, and sorry, we're kind of sidetracking from the synopsis, but I think you gave a pretty good. Um, I, I want to add something to the synopsis, but let, let's let's kind of explore the topic that we're on right now. Uh, yeah. Um, you mentioned and this is the only thing you mentioned to me uh, after you started reading the book is that you were surprised at how um, sexist the the book seemed, at least at the point that you were at. Um, and, and this is coming from a female author in a time, you know, when, uh, I think it's fair to say, I mean, maybe even true today that they are underrepresented in, in this genre. Um, and, you know, generally would have a harder time getting published or, you know, being heard. Uh, and, Mm -hmm. and, and so you, you kind of would expect a feminist agenda from her, but what did you feel from after now that you've read the whole book, what do you feel, uh, about that statement that you said? Well, I, I stand by it, and and perhaps this is my own bias, right? I was surprised, and really what we're looking at is a product of their time talking about race and gender, not race in this case, but gender and, mm-hmm. and how that falls into play. Um, so one of the things I found interesting is just the way that sometimes she described typical, what she would consider female behavior and typical male behavior, Um because this race doesn't ha- has both of those and neither of them at the same time. And yeah. so the narrator continually has to kind of pull himself out and say, well, I shouldn't say that because, but everyone on the planet is a male, right? They're all men. And yet well, they're he, not. He, he refers to them as men because you have to refer to them as something, right? That's true. But, but yeah. But, but it's interesting that they don't refer both. to themselves as something, right? Um, or I don't know. Maybe they do. I mean, that's something we deal with today in society, <laughs> right? Yeah. Pronouns. And how does that yeah. work? I, I mean, um, to them, they, they they don't even have the concept, really, of like... Well, I guess there is the concept of, of, of someone mm-hmm. being... Um, male all the time or female all the time because they, they, it does happen in their society, but they consider them mm-hmm. freaks, right? Yep. Um, but yeah, that's not maybe a concept that is really fleshed out in their society as it is in ours. It's the, the gender roles are so um, distinct and they were even more prevalent, you know, in the seventies when this was written, I think. Exactly right. And so 
I don't know that it would have been seen as sexist at the time. It might not even been thought of at all. I just found it interesting that, especially given that the late 60s, early 70s, you're kind of just around the women's lib time frame. Um, But I shouldn't presume to know at all about where this author is on these things, even though I did listen to the foreword. Um, I can't think to know all of her views on stuff, right? So, I kind of wish we had a, uh, a female voice. For this podcast right now it's like two dudes talking about you know <laughs> women's issues right now but anyway um uh what was i gonna say um okay so i don't disagree with you that her agenda or her views on sexes now keep in mind that the main character of the book is a male so she's it's interesting because she's writing this through the i she's a female and she's writing it through the eyes of a male you know But Mm -hmm. there was actually one point, which I want to say was the climax of the book. And basically they, uh, and I'm not going to give anything away, but they basically finally kind of discuss the issue of, uh, of gender. And I, and again, I'm not Mm going to, I'm not going to really say what was said, but I will say that I didn't quite understand it and I didn't quite understand what her view on it was but it definitely felt deep and I wanted and I wanted to I didn't but I wanted to like research it <laughs> afterwards what other people had written on on this section of the book on this you know it was just actually just like a few paragraphs from a chapter yeah because it just felt so deep like I was just getting the the, the outer peel of the onion I didn't really get the full meaning of it I think I know the the section that you're referring to and I will say, Obviously, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil that either. I will say this, you know, I read this book looking to a certain extent the whole time to figure out why is it titled The Left Hand of Darkness, and when it finally got made clear, I actually found that very satisfying. Yeah, I really liked it. I thought I was like, this is clever. <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't be surprised. I, I, I can't say I was, I felt the same satisfaction of you as you, but hmm. maybe. I didn't quite understand it as much as you did. Maybe that's something. And again, maybe we shouldn't spend more time on that. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, that is interesting that we we felt a little bit different about the title. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the title always has to come up in a story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, it's and you're right. I, I don't think we, we should probably back off it. But it wasn't the statement. But it as it was expanded upon in those paragraphs surrounding it. Mm-hmm. Um, not when it was a ni- cause it's, it gets addressed twice. Yeah. The initial address didn't really do it for me. The second address is they kind of pulled it out and talked from two different perspectives. That's when I was okay. like, hmm, okay. that's really interesting. Okay. Uh, okay. Hey, back to the, um, synopsis. Yeah. One thing I wanted to say is if I had to describe this book in like one sentence, I would take the angle that this book is about an alien trying to convince this world that he's an alien mm-hmm. which, which is weird when you think about it it's like well wait i mean that shouldn't be really hard i mean he even has his ship with this incredible technology mm-hmm. to prove that he's an alien he has this device which i want to talk a little bit more about but but uh Le Guin does an excellent job of of showing no it's not that simple in fact i think even our real society could very well handle it just as poorly <laughs> as uh, the nations of uh, winter or 
as they call it, Gethin, mm-hmm. handled this situation. I don't think, you know, first of all, it should be said that Genli, I, the main character, does generally look, I mean, they're all human, you know, the people of this planet mm-hmm. and the main character are human, but uh, he does look a little different. Um, first of all, they don't have any, they don't have uh, black people on Gethin, yeah. right? So there's that difference. And also he's a male all the time. Mm-hmm. But basically, I think it's it's a really awesome idea to write a book about an alien who is essentially having a difficult time <laughs> convincing people that he's an alien. Yeah. You know, I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah, it was real. It's it was a very interesting situation. It's interesting to see how the different uh, factions respond to him. Um, mm-hmm. And. It was. It's interesting to me because it seems like for a while he's just not sure who his friends are and who his enemies are, um, which is understandable. That's exactly how it would be. You're going into this foreign environment. You have no idea how xenophobic they are, so you don't know how they're even going to respond to the idea. Yeah. But it's presumable that any population would at least be mildly xenophobic because they just don't. They don't know anything about you, and then you then you display all these different biological differences. And you've also displayed this technological dominance that is leaps and bounds beyond them. Um, That's a scary experience. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, it's interesting. I, I always thought I saw pretty clearly who his, whose friends and enemies were in this particular story. Um, I saw different points of his paranoia and his feeling on it. Understandable. But for me, I was always pretty clear. I think this person's actually probably your friend. They may not seem that way. But I think they're moving that direction. Yeah, he he definitely, the main character, had a harder time seeing that than you did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, you know, one of the, if you had to um, describe this book in a single word, one word you might come up with is a made up word. Do you remember what word that is? Oh, you talking about Shith Grethor? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, how did you say it again? How did you pronounce it? Shith Grethor. Shith Grethor. Okay. I, 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 um, pronounced it Shith with an F Shith Grethor, but, uh, I, I'm going to trust you. Well, I'm going to trust you cause you listened to it. By the way, uh, how was the narration of the book? The narration was pretty good. Yeah. I was pleased. And I've had books that have terrible narration before and that would have made it really rough to make it through that by the time. We had to yeah. Meet. I love a good narrator. It makes all the difference. You know, I mean, of course, you got to have a good book, but man, it can really ruin the experience with a bad narrator. Absolutely. So I'm glad I'm glad you got a good one. Uh, anyway, back to Schiff Grethor, uh, Schiff Grethor, whatever. <laughs> Do you know how to describe that? Like, how would you define that? Well, you know, the nearest definition I can come up with would be pride. Okay. Um, but not pride in the terrible sense, but pride as in saving face, um, keeping themselves in the right position, but just a pride that saving sh- face. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, the- that, that, that's the, that's the definition I like best, like kind of like face or saving face. Yeah. But go ahead. What were you saying? But I mean, it's similar to our society. It's this, it's the very act that kind of shapes how a lot of public action takes place. Yeah. Um, and so that that's that concept came up so often in the book, right? They talked about it all the time. And it was interesting to hear the characters kind of trying to figure out one what it meant 
in their own society, what it meant in other societies, what it meant if you were from a society where that word didn't exist at all. Um, Mm -hmm. It was really neat, I thought. But that's definitely the primary concept, I would say, underlying the story, aside from the other things we've discussed. Yes, no, absolutely. It it shaped uh, lots of really important decisions, you know, that are made, and um, and 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 is primarily, I think, why the book can be about a an alien trying to convince everyone that he's an alien and having a difficult time doing it mm-hmm. because of this concept of Shifgrathor. Uh, I gotta say. Not quite as catchy a word as other made-up science fiction words <laughs> I've heard. <laughs> True. Namely, have, have you read uh, Stranger in a Strange Land? No, I've not read that. That's by uh, Heinlein. Mm-hmm. And um, if you haven't read it, then you won't know the word, but the, they uh, he makes up a word, grok. G-R-O-K. And actually, if you read that book, and maybe now that I just that I've told you this word, you may actually hear it. I, I like I hear people use it. Um hmm. and I've and I and I read it. Oh yeah, it, it's 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 a catchy word, and it definitely has made its way. I think it's honestly, I think it's in the dictionary now. Interesting. Okay. Attri- attributed attributed to Heinlein, yeah. Hmm. Stranger in a strange uh, land, a, you said. Yes. Okay. That is an Excellent book. Uh, if you want to put one on your reading list, that is an amazing book. Okay. I'll put it on the list. Okay, let's see. Um, another thing I've jotted down here. Um, there is a concept of telepathy. Telepathy yep. is a thing in this universe. Um, I thought the the chapter where they really explore telepathy, and um, I won't say anything more than that, but I thought it was a expertly written kind of, um, hmm, how do I describe it? Um, have you ever read in another book where you're just, you're reading something and the author does such a good job of, of slowly kind of making something happen. You're reading it, but you don't have actually realize that it's happening mm-hmm. until he explains that it's happening. And then you're like, Oh wow, this really is happening. <laughs> yeah. It's just building. You know, what book does a really amazing job about of that is the book cloud Atlas. And I don't know if you've ever read cloud Atlas, but I have not, I think I've heard of it, but I, I've never read it. Well, they made a movie out of it a couple years back with Tom Hanks and Halle Berry, etc. And, Etc. is not an actress. That just means other people. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> but in this book, before you read it, if you, you the people on the outside say, it's one of those things you'll look and you'll say, how did he do this? It's, it's well, And everyone's just saying, it's so amazing. And so, naturally, being a bit of a cynic, I immediately read this book thinking, I don't think it's going to be that impressive. But by the time you're done, you're like, wow, that's pretty impressive. And so, <laughs> but he builds it so gradually. And next thing you know, you're just like, wow. I just went through an experience and I didn't even realize I was going on that ride yeah. until he decided to reveal it to me. Um, yeah, no, I, I love I, I, part of the reason why I love reading books is because I love being impressed by the author's ability because I, I don't have that expert ability to write a story like these professional authors do. And uh, I just love being impressed by their expertness, you know? Yeah, I dig it. Um, there, there is a scene in a Dune novel, which by the way, if the listeners don't know, Chris and I are both avid 
Dune fans, and maybe we'll have to do a podcast sometime on Dune alone. <laughs> but uh, the the scene the scene that I'm re- referencing is such a big spoiler. There is I am not even going to get close to it. But it's essentially you're reading something and you don't realize something's happening, and then oh my goodness, it's happening. Uh, and it, Frank Herbert just does an amazing job um, of doing it. If you're curious, uh, it is in the third book toward the end that happens. That might that might help you know what I'm talking about. It's not going to give anything away, but anyway. Um, what did you think about the? Uh, I don't know what to call them. The 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 short chapters between long chapters in this book. You know, I've seen that done before, and in fact, um, Brandon Sanderson, who's one of my favorite kind of high fantasy authors. They're definitely not short stories. He's a long writer. But I'm actually, I'm actually wondering if I'm looking at one in the in your uh, library behind you. Oh, right you're probably now. looking at several. Well, no, most <laughs> of his are hardback. So that's my paperback shelf. Over here's my hardback shelf. Um, okay, gotcha. So you see a lot of Terry Goodkind and a few other things in the background right behind it. I think I'm seeing. I think I'm seeing um, the wheel of uh, the wheel of time. Right. Yes. Wheel of Time, Terry Goodkind, Isaac Asimov, Harry Potter, other stuff. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff up there. <laughs> All right. Um, we got lots to talk about, Chris. We do. <laughs> but Sanderson, <laughs> he does something like this. In his, He likes to have almost like a sub-story going on or several sub-stories going on in the introduction of his chapters. So his chapter will start, and he'll have a brief paragraph and if you read all the paragraphs across the top, it'll either tell you something fundamental about the underlying story, or it'll tell you a completely separate story that relates to this one. Um, okay, well, well, you're, what you're describing right now is straight up uh, Frank Herbert, don't you think? Yeah. Do you think he learned that from Frank Herbert? Probably. I would be surprised if he didn't. I mean, who hasn't been influenced by you know, Herbert? Yeah, I mean, who knows? I'm not saying that Frank Herbert invented the the short, you know, I don't know what you call that, like a paragraph intro. Essentially, it has nothing to do with necessarily with the paragraph. But like you say, if you read them all together, it would give you some under underlying information or some other complete diff, completely different story. Yeah. So Sanderson does a good job of doing that, huh? He does. He does. There's one book in particular I'm thinking of where they're they're fighting against this villain, and you realize by the end that what you're reading is something that they revealed to you in the first chapter. And they read through it, mm. but the key portion missing. And then when you get to the end, you're like, oh, this is why they're screwed. I That's see. interesting. But yeah. um, but I loved, um, I really liked those short chapters kind of giving us a deeper dive into the culture that we're dealing with. Um, because some of them were, some of them were um, uh, what, what, like myths, mm-hmm. right? Like myths of their religion. Other ones were... Um, just like, what do you call it, like a story with a moral at the end or something, you know? Mm-hmm. A fable. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. And so that was really interesting and neat to kind of hop back and forth with those. and Yeah. Because it gave you a feel of this society, right? It kind of helped you dig deeper and built the world out a little bit more. Yep, I agree. I loved it. Um, I, I think not all of them were great. Some of them were better than others, but um, I really liked... I think, again, I think that is just like an expert author technique that mm-hmm. just really impresses me, you know? 
Um, Chris, one thing that you for sure didn't get is, oh wait, actually, you know what? I for sure didn't get it either. I had to look it up online. (laughs) I was going to open up my book. I was going to open up my cool, uh, hardcover book and show you the map that I had, but then I just remembered, oh no, it didn't come with a map. I just remember I looked it up on, uh, online. Uh, uh, how do you feel about books with maps and fantasy maps in general? So, um, I, to be honest with you, for me, I could take or leave them. They don't really matter too much to me. Um, because I oftentimes kind of figure out where we are in a story over time, but I rarely look to the map and reference, oh, here we are and here we are. But, um, I I think, I think, I think it's safe to say it almost never, it's almost never necessary. You know what I mean? To have a map. Um, no, but go ahead. But what were you going to say? But I will say, as someone who is who has dabbled in writing a story or two, a map can be helpful for the author just to kind of shape what they're really going uh, with, so it doesn't just run off with you. Yeah, I mean, you want there to be consistency, uh, internal consistency in the in the book, even though the average reader is not going to care about that that much. You mm-hmm. know? But it will, um, but it will weaken the writing if you don't have it, and they want to be able to put their finger on it. But they'll be like, something's not right here. Like they'll notice. Mm. So the, it, it, it may lessen the experience for them, even though they don't know exactly what, what's causing it. Mm-hmm. I got to say, I freaking love maps. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I, you just said you've dabbled in writing stories. Uh, I've dabbled in drawing maps. Okay. <laughs> like there's just something mm-hmm. about maps that I just love looking at them, getting lost in them. Um, they can be real maps. They can be fantasy maps. I don't care. Um, I just, I just love it. I don't know if it's my inner child just loves exploring them and getting lost. I don't know. But, um, this one, this one was pretty cool. Uh, so like I said, there's no, there's no map in the book, but there have, I'm confused if there, if the map I found was like an official one or if it's just fan, you know, art or whatever, but basically based on everything you read in the book, you can, you can draw a general idea of the world of winter. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I did, I found, I didn't look for a map until about halfway through. I realized that geography, you know, as we said before, plays like a pretty important role in this book. Uh, then I, then eventually I did look for a map and I found a couple that were pretty cool and, um, really kind of explained, laid things out for me where things were. But yeah, I, I like I say, I don't think maps are usually integral to a story, but I love when they include them because I think it really does kind of flesh out the world and just adds a little bit more depth to like the world building that the author is going for. So yeah, anyway, uh, I, I love maps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anything else uh, you wanted to uh, bring up about the book we read? Well, you know, I found the whole concept of Kimmer very interesting. Kimmering, um, yeah, Kimmer or yeah. Kimmering or something, yeah. Another yeah. made-up word. Yes. Um, to my knowledge, I didn't bother to, to see if it was somewhere in real biology. But, you know, it's this interesting idea that, look, sex is very important to their culture and society when they're in, for lack of a better term, heat or in cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they indulge and they make it a serious priority. But outside of that, 
it's not really central to their focus, right? It's just, eh. They, it's in like, fact, they it's, find it shocking. <laughs> yeah, it's central to their focus for the time that they're in Kimmering, right? <laughs> then it's mm-hmm. very important. But but yeah, uh, when they're not in Kimmering, um, it's it's not in their mind. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, they talk about like, gosh, how awful would it be just to have, have this on your mind all the time? Like, how do yeah, you people yeah, function? Yeah. Um, but I found it very interesting that so they've got that experience, but that doesn't make them any less. I think it's easy when you look at something that is so kind of alien to our understanding and to underestimate it in some way or to overestimate it. Mm-hmm. And so. I think that's what Ginley Eye's big issue was, in that one, he made the naive assumption that people would be would look at the world the way he does, even though they're so clearly different from him. Um, but I think the fact that he didn't see some of the political intrigue that was going on is in part because I think he kind of underestimated them. He thought of them as more simplistic in certain respects, and so he didn't even realize the machinations that are going on around him. As yeah. a result of that, interesting. Uh, yeah. Have you um, have you read any Ursula K. Le Guin before? This is the first one I've re- first book of hers I've read. So I was gifted a book uh, by her called. It's in the same universe. There's a few books in this universe. Like oh, the the ha- the yeah, Hainish cycle. Yeah, it's called the Hainish mm-hmm. cycle. Is the series. I think they're they're you know I don't think they're uh, I think you can make them put them in chronological order, but I don't think one story has much to do with the next story. I think they're just in the same universe, right? And yeah. and this universe, this universe um, is kind of made possible by a piece of technology which we didn't really talk about um, called the Ansible. Right? Mm-hmm. Have you have you read um, Ender's Game? I have. I'm very familiar with both the Ansible and with relativistic travel, right? So <laughs> Okay. So tell tell the listeners what the Ansible does. I don't think this is a spoiler because again, it's in a, it's no. in other books and it's uh it's yeah, it's yeah. not super central to the to the story. Well, it's interesting because as I read these things and you know, Ansible's tend to travel the same place as this specific type of space travel. So if there's space travel where you go near relativistic speed, in other words, following Einstein's kind of layout of how things work, you get close to the speed of light, time moves more slowly for you, and so what's a month for you might be years for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so what that the problem with that is you can't communicate with someone on, the other, on another world. Communication, and that's Ansible, the problem. And Ansible somehow is faster than light communication. Ability. Well, instantaneous, right? Yeah, essentially. Yeah, you just if you start speaking here, and they get it there, yeah. and so that's that's the main kind of tool that allows for the ecumen, which is the coalition of worlds that he's a part of, to yeah. remain correlated, right? So, yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I loved how like the Ansible is. Um, necessary for this world that she built to exist right but Mm -hmm. it is one of the it's a piece of technology again that is not like super integral to the story she's telling but it's integral to the world she's built you know what i mean Mm -hmm. they couldn't do what they're doing without the ansible and i do i do love that i I learned this when i read the other book that i mentioned uh that i read by her i didn't actually mention the title the title was called um the dispossessed 
And uh, I know the dispossessed. Oh, have you heard of it? Mm-hmm. It got uh, I don't know which one. It got a Hugo or a you know a, a Nebula or Nebula. one of the, one of the two. Yeah. Uh, and, um, it's in that book as well. And I learned when reading that book that essentially other authors have used this concept and this word that she made up Ansible in their stories as kind of like a, you know, a homage to, um, to Ursula out of respect to Ursula, you know, because she's such a great author. (laughs) So she created the term Ansible and she was the first one. She created it. Yep. Interesting. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's like a copyright issue or something with, other people using, I don't know if they have to ask permission or if she's just cool with everyone using it, but that's, that's a really cool honor that other people would Mm -hmm. use this, this, this concept you made up, you know? Yeah. Well, that's almost certainly where Orson Scott card got it from them. Cause Ender's game, I want to say it's uh, late seventies, early eighties. Yes, it is. Like I know for a fact, 100% that he, he is using it, um, in homage to, to her, you know, very cool. Uh, uh, I, one uh, last thing I wanted to say about the dispossessed is actually that is a book that the, it was my first Ursula K. Wynn. I actually didn't really like it throughout reading it. Really? I, I didn't really like it. One of the most annoying things <laughs> was sex was also kind of a topic that was explored in this book. It completely different from, from, um, the way it was explored in the left hand of darkness, but she kept using the word copulate for every for, oh. for, for for the term sex and it just got, it just felt like she was taking all the fun out of it you know what i mean <laughs> i was so sick of the word copulate if i heard that word one more time i was going to go crazy but um but actually in the end in the end uh i you know I, I didn't like it as i read it but i just kept thinking about that book so much after i finished it that my opinion of it grew because mm. it, it's really it really the things that they explored just made me keep thinking about it, you know? Gotcha. No, I get that. Um, you know, one of the things that really got me with this book, and I don't know if you have this experience. I don't have it every time I read something, but if a book is really good, if a story is really good, then I find that at the end, I'm sad that it's over because totally. (laughs) <laughs> because for me, I, I thought, um, and the way it ended, because, you know, when you listen to a, when you listen to an audio book, unless you're paying close attention, the ending can sneak up on you. So you don't oh, know yeah. that you're right at the edge. And so, um, I knew I was getting close and then suddenly like, we're done. Like, oh, <laughs> you know, it's, um, I, I would have liked to know more about this world, yeah. but I definitely, we are never going back to it. I definitely felt that way. The the book, and I won't get too much into this. The book I read just before this book was called Ringworld. Have you heard of Ringworld? I have heard of Ringworld. Yeah, it's by Larry Larry Niven, or I think that's how you say it. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, without getting into it, basically, I when I finished it, I w- I just felt like, oh man, I wish I was still in this world exploring. Like I'm sad it's mm-hmm. over. I, I want to be back in this universe. Yep. Uh, so yes, I've definitely felt felt that way. Hey, Chris, uh, we are coming up on when I think, uh, about a, a good length of a podcast should be. Yeah. And, um, I was debating before we started recording when we should reveal kind of like our rating for the book, you know, oh. and it kind of worked out naturally that we're going to say it at the end. Um, so I, are you familiar with the Goodreads scale? Um, not overly. So I'm going to need you to brief I'll me. review it. Yeah. 
I'll re- I'll brief you on it. So it is kind of like a zero and then they skip one, two, three, four, and then it's like five to 10. So essentially you either didn't like the book or you can give it levels of how much you liked it. And so the, the, the specific levels are one star is I didn't like it. Two stars is it was okay. Three stars is I liked it. Four stars, I loved it. Five stars, it was amazing. Mm. Okay. I didn't like it. It was okay. I liked it. I loved it. It was amazing. So, your review. Hmm. Your rating. So, I wouldn't go so far as to say five. I don't think it was amazing, but I also did not dislike it. I clearly liked the book. We've been talking about it at length. Um, (laughs) I think a four would be good, because I really thought the way that she... I will say the way that she handled these topics and these issues was really masterfully done. Um, it was. And so in that way, I'm very impressed if there were, I'll say if she had other books about this world and about kind of how that was progressing and evolving, I would potentially go to read those books. Um, but I don't know that I've been moved so much to read the rest of the Hainish cycle based on this book. And so for that reason, four and not a five. Good, good. I'm glad you don't just throw fives around like, like nothing, Chris. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> um, uh, I, I am giving it a five though. And, and I, I don't, I don't do this for every book. In fact, I more often than not don't like, I'm very critical. I'll put it that way. I'm very critical, but this, this book yeah, I I have to say it's more than I loved it. Like I thought it was like you said, a masterpiece. I can't I was so impressed by her ability to tell this story. I just cannot imagine in a million years myself coming being able to put to get put this thing together in the detail that she did. Uh you didn't see this in your audiobook, but in the end of this book there's actually um a appendix on the Gethin calendar and clock. <laughs> yeah, that's uh Okay, so so it's like she she really went out of her way to to get, you know, the science right and this made up well, I mean, that's not made up. I mean, well, yeah, she made up the 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 rotation of the earth, you know, how long it takes and but uh, this the cultural things that she came up with um just mm-hmm. really really impressed me. I I just feel like this sort of book is something that um, can be assigned like in a, in a class to write an essay on, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and it's, it's, it's just really, it is a very good book. Um, but for me, a five, for me to give it a five, it would have to somehow resonate with me on a personal level okay. to be like, you know what? Cause then if I'm saying it's amazing, that's because it's amazing for me. In fact, I think fives are almost always subjective, right? Oh, of course. Because, it's got to somehow speak to you in a way that other things don't. Um, and But I really did. En- I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would, to be honest with you, as I started making my <laughs> way through and I found myself more and more interested. Good. I'm glad you liked it. Uh, I, I also, I, I hate that it's true, but at least for me, um, expectations have, have all, they, they factor into how much I like it. I wish it wasn't true, you know, but um, mm-hmm. it's the truth. I don't know what my expectations were for this. I mean, I you know, obviously, I know it's a classic, so I was expecting something pretty good. But uh, it it was uh, better than than I expected. And even you know, there were actually, I would say, there was actually even some pretty slow parts. Um, 
in the book, mm-hmm. but I just thought the good parts uh, impressed me so much that uh, yeah, it's a it's a five for me. Anyway, Chris, I think that uh, oh, unless you want to conclude with something, yeah, I wanted to make a suggestion to you because I know we're about to wrap. Let's hear it. Um, so, in honor of Black History Month, there is a science fiction writer, N.K. Jemison who wrote a book, a series of short stories called How Long Until Black Future Month. Um, <laughs> Wait, I don't even think I understand that. Bla- oh, I see, I see. Black History, but Black Future Month. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. And so she happens to be a black author just writing about these stories. And so the main characters, I guess, presumably in all these stories are black, but okay. usually that's the, that's it, right? It's just they happen to like, sometimes you can tell, like sometimes they're a cultural thing, sometimes they're not. Uh-huh. Um, but she's got a lot of interesting different points in there and so that might be one to check out and see if there's a particular story or two that you like in it okay so this is a set of short stories yep yeah okay i will definitely have to check that out i you know what i love doing is in between novels i I have a couple short story compendiums and i love getting in a few of those Mm -hmm. in between um bigger pieces so yeah i will do that sounds good man thanks for the recommendation um i actually already started another book but oof not really enjoying it to be honest <laughs> i don't know if i'm gonna finish it uh part of the problem is it's an arthur c clark book and um oh yeah i read i, I read just again i don't usually like reading intros like kind of like you but uh i read the first sentence and he's disclosed that this was the first novel he wrote so right away i was like "Ooh, is this not gonna be quite as good because it's his first one and so far the first couple chapters not proving to really intrigue me yet so we'll see what happens with that but uh interesting anyway hmm. all, right. all right well chris it's been a pleasure indeed my friend i really appreciate you letting me come on I we'll have to do it again i never know how to end these things though so we'll just cut it at some point <laughs> all right well, i mean that's a wrap works for me <laughs> <laughs>